She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday to you all and welcome back to another episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast. So we have another and another can't get my words out today. We have another amazing guest and we have another meal and I'm excited to share this guest. We recorded this podcast episode a few months ago now and um, the guest today is Josh Connolly. Josh is hands down probably one of the most articulate, strong and courageous men that I've ever spoken to. He speaks with such truth and courage. Um, Josh has been on BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5. He has worked with huge global brands and he is a resilience coach. He is also a speaker um, and he holds coaching clinics all over. God, honestly, what... Josh's story is going to be so touching for so many and I love that he shared so openly and vulnerably on this podcast I think that he shares and he takes you on a journey as he speaks like he's one of those people that you know you're there with them you're on the journey as you're listening to them them speaking which obviously makes him such a great speaker and and the work that he does but because he speaks from his heart you can really really feel it um, in this episode, Josh talks a lot about male suicide and how he really was at a point where he decided to take his own life. And he went and said goodbye to his children, believing in that moment that that was the last time that he would ever speak to them or see them again. And when he explains the story to you, it's like wow you know it, it it's it's so so moving and and what happened to him in that moment where he decided then that he had to be here and he had to live and then he went on to create what he has created and inspire who he is inspiring every single day doing the work that he's doing so i'm excited to share this episode with you so without any further ado let's go over to this epic episode she Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie. So welcome to She Loves Herself, the podcast, Josh Connolly. Thank you so much for saying yes to coming on. A pleasure. Pleasure. I'm excited. When I was reading about you and I was reading some information on your website, it totally spoke to me. And I know that the listeners of this podcast will really love your story and your energy. So let's dive in, Josh. So... Josh, you talk a lot about resilience and being a resilience coach. So what led you on that path of becoming a resilience coach? I think it was, uh, well, I don't think, I mean, it was, uh, I reached a stage in my life where I would have always called myself brave and, and resilient and courageous and strong. You know, I'd, I'd sort of faced a lot of adversity, um, and always found a way to show up. And I always turned up to life, you know, and, and people uh, would say, you know, no matter what life throws at you, you just keep going. 
and they were and they were right you know i did i kept going i had a certain tenacity about me and yeah at the age of 25 years old as i was already working as a transport manager uh, it was a manufacturing company and i had like a severe breakdown um mm. started off with like panic attacks and then eventually i i made what was you know at the time a very honest decision to to take my own life and uh, I, I was I was fortunate that I had an experience with my children that kind of changed everything. And off the back of that, um, I realized that I had always been on that path, that my breaking point was always there and I was holding it at bay. And I was just, you know, doing everything that I could to not crack under the pressure that I was experiencing from everything that I had buried. And... Um, I wanted to understand how and why that would happen to me. Mm. And what I quickly realized is that I think what we often call resilient is actually more avoidance. Mm. It's more holding up the pressure. And so the way I started to do the work that I did is I wanted to look at it from a new way. I realized that after the weekend I had with my children, when I reached out for help, it felt like the ultimate failure, but actually it was the first act of resilience. It was the first time that I fully comprehended and accepted the ways that I felt and set about getting the resources in my life to be able to deal with that. Mm. And, you know, when I looked around at the way that resilience was kind of being taught, particularly in the space for men, it was very like, show up no matter what, keep going, you're stronger mm. than this and all of that kind of that kind of messaging. And I'd done all of that all my life and I found myself very nearly taking my own life. So, you know, that's a kind of like a top, top view of, of how and why I got into what I'm doing and, and, and remain very passionate about it. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, thank you so much for sharing um, so openly. Um, And you were 25 at the time and you were obviously trying to push through Right. Because on paper, <laughs> we see resilience as someone who continually just keeps going no matter what life throws at you. You're so resilient. You're so resilient. And then you talked about your children that weekend. Um, what happened that weekend then when you said, you know, it was this experience with my children that weekend? What was it that weekend that happened when you said you wanted to take your life? But then there was an experience with your children. Look, what happened was is um, I went to see them. Uh, they weren't, they didn't live with me. And I went to see them for, for what I thought would be one last weekend. And because I knew I was going to die, the, the past became irrelevant and the future was non-existent. And so for the first time ever in my life, I was present in a way that I'd never experienced before. I had always intellectually known that I loved my children but it wasn't an experience that I had actually felt internally. And I think this is one of the big issues that we have actually in the way that we talk about emotional health or mental health or however we want to frame it. As a man in my twenties with children, I never resonated with having a mental health problem. I felt like a terrible dad. I felt like um, I was incapable of doing the things that I should have been able to do. I felt like there was something wrong with me and like, I didn't want to be here, but I'd never really resonated with, a mental health struggle. Yeah. And so in that weekend, when I remember cuddling my daughter and thinking, this is it, like, this is, 
what it's supposed to feel like. Maybe I'm not a bad person. And actually, the only thought I had in that weekend was as if I can convince myself that I'm going to leave this world next week for the rest of my life, then maybe I might get more moments like this. But what that opened up for me, and this is kind of really important, is it made me start to look at the narratives that I told myself about who I am, what I think, and what I know about myself. We 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 teach children, I believe, we teach children to suppress their emotions. We literally tell them to do that as a society on a whole. We, 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 we tell them to be brave and strong. And I've always been very sensitive. Um, I get overwhelmed quickly. And I was always told as a child that I was too sensitive and that I needed to toughen up and that I needed to be stronger. None of which I now recognize, none of them w- w- were true, particularly because that's part of who I am. Actually, what I needed for my sensitivity was somebody to get around me support me in that and make sure that I can build the resources in my life to be able to deal with the overwhelm. Take my sensitivity in my life today. It's far from, uh, far from being a negative thing. And it's, you know, I call it my superpower now, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't get me overwhelmed quickly. Mm-hmm. What it means is, is that I recognize that overwhelm. And for me, the true resilience piece is that I know that I get overwhelmed. And so I put my needs first and make sure that I have resources in my life to deal with that. And then I'm not too sensitive. I'm not too sensitive. I'm sensitive, right? And I and I and I get to kind of own that part of myself and who I am. And I think it's really important that it's so easy for us to create narratives about our lives yeah. based on what we think society should think of us. We say things like, um, yeah, my life might have been difficult, but people had it way worse than me. Yeah. And that that, you know, I used to say things like that. And actually, what that does is completely devalue my experience. It says that my experience doesn't matter because somebody else has it worse. And that's not true. Yeah, That's not true. What I needed to do was really lean into my sufferings and kind of understand on a level how and why I created the narratives that I did. Why did I show up to the world in the ways that I did? And what I found is that it always traces back to a part of myself trying to protect me. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of opened up a whole new way to me of looking at what resilience truly meant. Um, and what it really means to be courageous in the world that we live in. Wow, that is so beautiful in the sense when you're talking about this part of you. And I I talk about this quite a lot too, Josh, the parts of us that we run from fear, shame, every part has a message. Mm. You know, and every part is part of us. And it's, you know, a lot of it isn't truth isn't real truth and and it's a lot of it's fear okay and actually those parts of fear what's the positive intention Mm -hmm. of fear what's the positive intention of shame and I really felt that when you said about those parts of you that almost that you started to communicate with instead of trying to suppress and push down because we know that they physically get stuck in our bodies right our body keeps the score Mm. You actually, would it be right in saying that you started to more communicate and feel those parts of yourself? Yeah, and look, and I believe all of those parts of myself, when you trace them back, right, like you say, are supporting me. The reason I abandoned myself so quickly in my life is because as a child in the environment I existed in when I was small, my dad had a severe problem with alcohol. I sensed and, and, and intuitively felt my mum's struggle. 
And so I abandoned myself and my emotions to show up for my mum in the way that I felt that she needed me to do. Yeah. That was a great way for me at the age of four or five to be able to survive in the environment that I lived in. It no longer serves me a purpose as an adult, no longer a defenseless child. You know, I have the power of my own intellect now. I have the power of my own voice. But if I'm still showing up to the world in the same way that that four-year-old part of myself does, then it's going to be a problem. And what we have a tendency to do is is hide from that. Mm. And, I, you know, look, if you look at, the, for me, even when you look at the kind of, some of the parts of ourselves that are more openly uh, or more commonly talked about, people talk a lot about the inner critic. Mm. People say, shut that inner critic up, it's your worst enemy. I say, for me, if I listen to the inner critic, if we want to call it that, I listen to that part of myself and it says you're useless, right? You're never going to do this. Don't go and don't go and do this, this workshop that you're about to do with this company. They're going to find out if I listen to that part of myself far from being my worst enemy. It's another part of myself that's desperately trying to protect me. Yeah. Because if I say to it, why, why don't, why, why, why do you think we shouldn't do this workshop? If I listen to myself, what it says is because I remember the shame that we felt when we did stuff that made us look stupid when we we're younger and I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I can actually start to understand that and understand those shadow parts of myself, why they're there and why they're showing up, then actually I can tap into other parts of myself that I also know exist. Mm-hmm. I can say to the part of myself that's worried about getting shamed when we're going there. I can say, don't worry, we've got the, we've got the cocky, arrogant part of myself over here, right? Let, yeah. let, let, he'll, he'll show up, mm-hmm. right? And actually then I get to use the whole parts of myself. And what I realized in my life is that so, so often parts of myself would become polarized mm. and they, they would take over me. You know, the mm. joker part of myself, for example, spent my life just making jokes about everything. Yeah. I, you know, the joker part of myself remembers when we were a child, remembers my seeing my mum crying the morning after my dad did something. And that, that, that joker part of myself remembers that when I did something silly, my mum laughed and I changed the way she felt and I got to change the way that I feel. But if that part of myself becomes polarised, mm-hmm. then I float around making jokes about everything and I'm doing it to avoid the ways that I feel. So, you know, when we come back to them parts of ourselves, I do believe they're all desperately trying to do the same thing which is protect us of course I it's such a beautiful way to look at it because society and conditions and obviously generational as well right ancestral and um, lineage is it all comes down to a lot of the time it's it's stuff that we carry in our bloodline and we're told like when you when you mentioned the the, the children um learning to you know get on with it from such an early age gosh and I've shared this openly and it and it upset me when I actually remembered about this as I've gone on this journey myself I parent differently now than I did a few years ago Josh Mm -hmm. and I was never a bad parent but I'm so aware of the language that I use because I thought, well, that's what everyone does. That's how I was brought mm. up and I'm okay. You know that, well, my dad was like that with me. You know, my partner will say, well, my dad told me that and I'm looking at me, I'm all right. But then we're kind of, now we're like, are we? <laughs> were we all right? You know, it's actually when you have those moments, you know, when your child would fall over and I've seen it so many times, it's like, right, come on up, you get, you're all right. 
And you're like, they've just skinned their knee, but it's the parent's reaction of, but I don't want them to cry because I don't like them crying because it hurts me. So I'm not going to let them cry. And, you know, they're trying desperately not to cry, even though there's pain there. And they learn so young, I've got to be brave. That's the thing. Be brave. Don't cry. So we learn, oh, so I'm not brave if I cry. I'm weak if I cry. Mm -hmm. So much of it goes down to childhood. And, you know, you shared that and uh, very openly. And what I wanted to ask you was when you had that moment with your own children, when you were present, it was a really, it was an emotional share, but it was also very beautiful because what it did is it brought you into the real present moment of love Mm. and being, right? When you had that moment of, right, I'm not going to take my own life anymore, what happened then? What? Who did you ask for help? How did you get it? Like, what was the journey like for you in the beginning to actually own, own where you were at at that point? Well, the, the first, the, the, the starting point for me in any time of struggle like that has to be outing myself. It has to be coming out to the people around me and saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm feeling, right? That bravery piece that you talked about, you know, and I'm self-reflecting here as a parent myself because I know how easy I can do it, right? That comes from an inability for me to be able to be with them in that emotion. Mm-hmm. So so, so when, when, when an adult tells a child to be brave, I was told to be brave at my dad's funeral. Uh, some people at my dad's funeral when I was nine, year old, nine years old tell me I needed to be brave for my mom, right? literally telling me to be emotional that it was my duty as a nine-year-old to be emotionally available for my mom now now when adults say things like that like be brave i actually think what they mean is don't present to me the actual emotion that you need to present because i don't think i could deal with it so let me tell you to be brave and i don't have then we don't have to show up to the emotion so 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 that act of telling somebody to be brave stems from 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 fear from the from the adult's fear of the emotion that might be expressed right and their inability to go there so what i have to do to bring it back to the question what did i do and what what you know what's been the process it's been making sure that i bring my true emotion i question my first narrative and i bring my true emotion to the table and say this is what i'm feeling with because until i do that until I do that, I can't build the resources in my life to be able to deal with the ways that I feel. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm the ambassador for a charity called NACOA, which supports children of alcoholics now. Um, and, I, you know, I'm fortunate to have walked into the door of there just after what happened that weekend with my children. And I started sharing initially in a, in a space where nobody tried to fix me or change me, where, where, where people made me feel heard, where where people stepped into my darkness and sat for a while, not to fix me or change me, but so that I might feel heard. And that becomes the foundation really upon which any kind of change can happen. And the presence thing with my children, the reality is, is I didn't have that weekend and go, wow, it's about presence. And then just always be present with my children. I I struggle to be alone with myself. And that means that I struggle with the present moment. And so my natural reaction is to always try and run away from it, you know? And we don't like how intuitive children are because it exposes us. But we know that they're intuitive. 
when I sit and play snakes and ladders with my daughter, if I'm not there, as in if I'm not present, I'm over here dealing with this emotion that I'm struggling to keep at bay that I haven't processed and released, then my daughter will know I'm not there. She'll know I'm not there. People say to me all the time, should I tell my kids what's going on? I say, tell them what they want. They already know. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't get with them now and help them to comprehend what they're experiencing, they'll put their own narrative to it. And I'll tell you who will be at the center of that blame. It will be them. So, mm -hmm. cause that's what children do. So, so the process after that weekend has been rooted in consistently coming out and outing myself um, and the ways that I feel and the struggles that I have. That's much more difficult to do in my personal relationships than it is to do on a podcast or on a stage by the way yeah, oh, yeah. because it, because it because it shows up most in the in in the places where I'm seeking that attachment from because that's where the wounded boy comes out yeah that's mm -hmm. where the other parts of me start panicking and saying dude let's do this let's do this let's put the fire out kind of thing yeah so so uh yeah that's a bit of a long answer to the question but but Ultimately, it has been about that. The actual methodology in itself that, that follows that kind of exposing ourselves is always evolving. It's always changing. I'm always finding over the last eight or nine years that it's been, I've always been picking up new things, right? But it, but it always comes back to that first. I have to expose myself, for want of a better term, to make sure that I can find what I need. Yeah, and really being vulnerable, right? Vulnerability, exactly. It comes back to that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I really talk about vulnerability and embracing vulnerability. And I've definitely leaned into that more since going on this journey. But you'll you resonate with this, Josh. The, the more you do, the deeper you go, right? So mm. you think, right, I'm, I'm going to work on this part of myself. And then you're like, okay, but then you've expanded and evolved so much. Well, your soul has, right? And then you're like, right, okay, actually there's this other part now that I'm called to work with because we all have it. We've all got it, but the deep, deep vulnerability can feel can feel really awful in our bodies and in our minds because our mind, it's like a battle that we're having. And it's like going back to that part where it, is, it feels like a battle, but really it doesn't need to be because... You know, we're a whole person. We have mm. all of these emotions. We're not supposed to just feel one emotion, which is buzzing, happy, you know. <laughs> Life, there's experiences in our brain and our mind has almost imprints of every experience. And it's, it's almost going back into that heart space, right? Going back in and speaking to parts of the body. A lot's obviously, you know, in the stomach and, and the throat from suppressing but it's so important that I think people realize that when you're looking at social media or when you're looking at someone who has or seems to have the perfect life it's a highlight reel and actually no one's got their shit together a hundred percent of the time sure. even the people that do this work and I say this to people never look at me as a coach and what I'm doing and think that I never wake up with fear. I never wake up with resistance because when I go deeper, I'm like, wow, that's actually, there's resentment in there. But I'm really open to sharing that because I think it's important that people know that, that we're not broken yeah. and we're never going to be, in inverted commas, fixed 
mm-hmm. because we're not broken, right? Exactly. It's a, a journey and you know, you talk about trauma and I loved how you shared that not diminishing your trauma because when you said it was when you said um there's always someone worse someone's had it worse right we're lucky we should be grateful and yeah we should be gratitude's a huge thing um which I fully support but never diminish your level of trauma yeah and and look the thing with gratitude for me and it's quite controversial particularly Mm -hmm. in the space that I work with and I I, you know I've upset people with this narrative but for me, it's the truth. Gratitude's great if it's if it's the correct mm-hmm. and appropriate feeling. If I feel ungrateful, then I feel ungrateful. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I saw some terrible things when when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I'm not grateful for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not grateful for any part of them. Mm-hmm. I'm actually very ungrateful for them. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I look at those experiences, that's appropriate. Now. If, of course, I'm getting trapped in this place of feeling like there's nothing good in my life, then there is some huge benefit in looking at the things that I have to be grateful for. But my belief is, is that when I'm trapped in that dark space, it's normally because I'm fighting the darkness. Mm. Actually, it's not because I'm avoiding the light. When I was growing up, when I was a teenager, when I was a young man, when I was in my early 20s, my problem was not a lack of looking at gratitude. In mm. fact, I kidded myself with that stuff all my life. Yeah. I said those things. My life was never that bad. My dad was a good man. He just sometimes drank too much. People have it worse than me. Mm. You know, I'm just, I'm glad that I've got the job that I've got. I said all of those things. And do you know what? Behind it all, I was dying. Yeah. And, and I was dying not because I lack of my ability to look at my gratitude. I was dying because of my inability to spend time with my lack of gratitude, my yeah. inability to spend time with the difficult emotions, the inability for me to say, you know what, some things that happened in my childhood really, really hurt me mm-hmm. and I still feel pain for them. And this, for me, this is the thing about the healing work, right? Mm-hmm. The self-care stuff's great. You know, I love a salted bath as much as anyone else, right? But the real work for me is dogged, awful work that, that I end posting on social media because, because I'm so in myself and I'm so in the kind of turmoil of it. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but, but that is the work. My, like I've always done positive emotions. Well, yeah. I'm the one who, when every, when that, when, you know, when it's hit the fan, I'm the one that was all going, always going, don't worry, we'll be all right. Let's carry it. That's what I did. Mm. My problem, my problem stemmed from my inability to properly feel and process the more tricky emotions, Mm. you know, because, and and where does that stem from? That stems from the fact that when I was a child, in my case, this is, I didn't have an adult that was available in my life to love me in spite of my rage my anger, my jealousy, all of which are normal human emotions, by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and but 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 I didn't have a parent that was able to love me in those moments. So what did I do? I didn't let myself feel them. And you used the sentence earlier, the body keeps the score. And so whenever I felt rage, I pushed it down into my body. Whenever I felt jealousy, I pushed it down into my body and I showed up as happy Josh like I always did. 
and it's and it's no wonder I had terrible migraines. It's no wonder I sometimes couldn't sleep or I sometimes couldn't wake up. Yeah. I had problems with addiction because my body was screaming at me, Josh, come and look at this stuff. Yeah. You know? Gosh, completely. And oh, it is. And you said when you go into that place, Josh, it's like that's the stuff that you don't share so much on, on social media. Because, you know, I've been there too, right? And it can feel like <laughs> it's actually really difficult to put into words how how it can feel. I mean, when I've done a lot of really deep work, I felt like I've come out in hives. I've come out and, you know, my body's reacted in certain ways um, awful pains in stomach, like you say, headaches and things like that. And a lot of people listening to this might think, why would you, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? <laughs> this is crazy. Like just keep, keep, what's it? Keep calm and carry on. Yeah, that's but it. Yeah. So many people do, like there is another way. I mean, if you've got like 20, 30 years, guys, of suppressed emotions, there's ain't, there's no way that's going. Like it doesn't leave you. You know, it actually is in your body. And we're not saying you get all rid of it all. Well, just go cold turkey, do it all in one weekend, right? There's so many things you can do, but you've got to be open to just going in there and starting to connect with your body more. The head will always try and protect you. The head's actually doing its job. You know, as, as Josh said earlier, that inner critic, it's because someone laughed at you at some point or someone made fun of you, someone shouted at you. So it's like, no joke, because it's it's all memories, right? It's all little imprints. It's like, no, remember that time, Josh, or remember that time, Jill, that happened. So it's not safe. So we don't want to do that. And that's when I'm saying about when we're feeling in conflict, people say to me a lot, how... How do you know if it's your gut or just fear? And I say, because the, the feeling is really the same. Oh, it's my gut. I've got a gut feeling. I shouldn't go for that job or I shouldn't put myself out there or speak my truth. I've got a gut feeling. Actually, that's fear. And I say to people to know the difference is if I don't do this thing, will I stay small? Mm. Am I really going to grow? If I don't speak my truth, if I don't do this, am I going to just be suppressing these emotions? Am I not speaking my truth? And that's a really great way just to do it. And if the answer is, yeah, I just feel a bit sick about it, but actually I know the benefit of it's going to outweigh that sick feeling. That's when you know it's just fear. Mm. Um, your gut's completely different, right? Because I think our gut is such a really important thing, but we can get really confused with the gut versus fear. Yeah, there's always there's a really powerful question in in that I often use in those moments as well, where where you ask what are you by 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 not doing it, what are you saying no to? Because mm. it just flips it on its head, and you know if it's like should I go and do this interview, okay. I'm not going to do it. Then what are you saying no to? You go well, yeah. no to an opportunity for a new job, no to da da da. Right? They might go, oh, I'm saying no to potential rejection, and then you can look at it and go, that's where that feeling's coming from. It's yeah. like it's the rejection yeah. piece, right? And then, I, I, look, I do think, you know, when you when you really start getting in tune with yourself, you do start, you can even, you can start to feel it because you question it. You say, what is this feeling? Mm -hmm. And then you start to get up with those parts of yourself, you know? Why am I feeling this? Where's this fear? What am I scared of? Yeah? What are you trying mm -hmm. to protect me from? Yeah. And then you get to the root of it. And, you know, that, that kind of is, the, that's the work that we talk about, right? And I think that's, when you're doing that on a, day-to-day -day basis it's really freeing when you're trying to like you say you go deeper and then 
I heard a really good quote once that I can't remember who it come from, but it says that our emotions don't believe in one another. Mm. Because when you do a big, good bit of healing work, right, and then like you get this light feeling and you feel really free, and then you float about for a couple of days and you're like, I've done it. Like, I'm never going to feel bad again. Like, this is like, I am, I've done it. And then, bam, it hits you in the face. And then you fall off another part and you realize another bit of yourself. And then in that moment, you start going, I'm never getting out of this one. <laughs> yeah, like, this is the one that I don't get out of. This is of, the right? dark one. This is the this ugly is one. This one, yeah. But, but, but the reality for me has been that, you know, some of the greatest moments in my, you know, the journey since I stopped drinking, which has been like nearly nine years, the, the, the greatest moments have nearly always been born out of that darkness. You oh, know? It always is, Josh. Always, always yeah, is. it always is. Break down to breakthrough is quite a cliche term, right? But it is actually true. You think you're not coming out of it and you actually can convince yourself, oh, that I've been like this for weeks. No, it's just two days, actually. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I've been like this for months. Yeah. there's something wrong no it's just two days you're okay you'll come out yeah. and you know because you've kind of been through it before when you're on that healing journey you know you're you know it's going to pass but in those moments you're like oh I'm frantic it's like all of the visitors are coming at once fear rage resentment anger da, 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 it's all coming at once upset ugh. and you're like yeah. oh stop stop but this we're painting a really bad picture here guys right but (laughs) josh and i josh and i have done a lot of deep inner work right so anyone that does want to do that you don't need to go as deep as we've gone but i would say it's so transformational and what i love and i'm going to ask you about josh is community when you're doing this like so when you were on that journey how important is community to you, you know, people that get it on that level that, you know, you mentioned Nicoa, right? But when you went on that other journey, because there would have been other parts to what you've been working through for the past few years, right? How important was community for you and finding those people that could hold that space and resonate with you? Well, it's the, it's the, like, it's the key component. Mm. It's the key component. You know, none of this, it's impossible to do it on your own. I'll say that much, you know, and I think, you know, I see a lot of kind of um, ultra independence as as being sort of promoted a lot. Like, I don't need anyone but myself. And, you know, I did all that. And the reality is for me, I don't think that's how we're supposed to be as human beings. I think ultra independence is a is a trauma response in itself. Um, You know, we're wired for connection. Right. And we're supposed to reach some kind of interdependence. I need people in my life that I know that I can lean on. Right. And hopefully they know that they can lean on me too. And that's a foundational thing that, that that I absolutely need because for all the want in the world, yeah, to get things right and do things right, I can tell you how I can be the worst at doing anything. Yeah. And in those moments, I need people that, that show up for me. Mm. That like and and and, and so, so so I need them in those moments, but also in the kind of talked earlier about coming out regularly. I need people to hold that space for me, to make me feel psychologically safe to be able to do that. Because we do a lot of telling people that they should talk more, but a lot of people don't have enough listeners around them. And the reason people don't talk about the ways that they feel, you know, has a lot to do with the fact that they think everyone will try and fix them. And, and, and we don't want to hear that. No. We don't want to hear that. We want people to, 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 to hold space and make me, feel, make me feel like a human in the space that I'm in. Yeah. And we don't do enough of that. So so it's vital. It's it's a it's a key component for me. Yeah, I completely agree. And on that then, how did 
your family and your network, your network at that time of people sort of deal with you going through that journey. Um, Because I know, you know, I've I've still got my friends from school. They don't get what I do, right? But we're cool. I'm like, "Ah, that's cool. Um, And then I've got my really close network of people that I've I've built over the past few years have been on this journey. And I can just really say everything I want to say to those people. And like you said, that space is held. Um, But I think in the beginning, people were like, what are you doing? And I had a few friends that said to me, oh, are you not going to turn all boring and all that? Are you like, you're going to still want to have a drink and come out and like, we're still going to, because I think they were scared. It was like, or we're going to lose part of Jill that's fun. And, you know, and I was scared to be honest, Josh, I remember really in the deep part of the work being like saying to my coach at the time, oh God, I'm terrified of losing the fun parts of myself because there's a lots of parts of me that I really like, mm. like the energy and all that. And she's she laughed and she was like, "What are you on about? Like you get to choose. Like you don't need to lose any parts of yourself." And I think people don't know, so they're a little bit scared of it, right? Yeah, and you know there was a lot of that where you know particularly like the Joker part of myself because I used that in such a kind of unhealthy way for a lot of my life at the beginning, I kind of just said, I'm never going there again. Right. And I kind of lost all of that about me. Um, so the journey has been like up and down in that sense. I've kind of lost parts of myself and then rediscovered them. Um, I'm very much, well, I used to sort of need a lot of people around me because I craved so much validation. Um, but me like on a personal level, I much prefer a much smaller circle now anyway, you know, I'm not, you know, a fun life to me is being as present as I can at home with my children and my wife and my, my dog, um, and doing the work that I do, but I'm quite introverted. I get, like I say, I get overwhelmed easily. So social events I, I enjoy until I don't, and then I have to go home. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. just who I am today. And so, like my social my social circle changed has changed a lot over the last nine years, uh, but it's changed for the better. I just I just wouldn't have have envisaged what better was when I first started the healing. Right, so if I'd have said to you, in ten years time you'll be here, I'd have said, well I don't want it. <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. stay here. But but actually what's happened is is that I realise, you know, who I am and what I want. I think when you discover your own needs Mm. and you start getting your needs met, um, you don't care about anything else because you're having your needs met. And so the people that are supposed to be in your life will be there. Yeah. And the people that are not won't be. That's okay. Yeah. 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 And do you feel you meet your own needs internally yourself, Josh? Not myself, like between me and the and the people around me, um, I'm much better mm-hmm. at communicating my needs. Um, do I get them met? Um, not always. Mm. You know, I'll nearly always abandon myself and go and get somebody else's needs met because that's my go-to. So, um, yes, I'm much better at having my needs met, uh, but I've no way mastered it, no. Mm. If that you know that's the reality yes yeah, it's, it's practice isn't it yeah it's practice 
meeting our yeah. and putting ourselves at the centre. You know, we've been one way for most more of our life than not. So it doesn't change overnight. It doesn't even just change over a year or two. It's something that we work on. And it's as simple as, you know, if you're going to the gym to get lean muscle, if you suddenly stop doing that, you'd lose that lean muscle. It's maintenance, right? And it's the same for the mind and the body, the soul. So it is, and it, but it's a beautiful experience when you really discover how strong you actually are, like how resilient you are and what resilience really, really means. Yeah. Um, looking inward and and really nurturing those parts of ourself, our whole yeah. self. Um, yeah. And it, it becomes very abundant, you know? Yeah. I sort of don't accidentally use that word. Abundance the right word because my life is very full. You know, it's very full and very rich. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm happy all the time or I get it all right all of the time. It just means that I have, that my, my life feels very full, rich, vast and deep, right? Um, and I kind of use those words purposely because they show that just because I might have a slightly smaller social circle now, my life is way bigger. My life, you know, my life is so vast now. The opportunity mm. is so vast. Like this is like the most exciting journey I could ever be on because because I'm ever changing. I'm not fixed. I'm you know I'm fluid in the way that I approach life. I I, I live by the mantra that I wake up every morning and with the idea that I could be wrong about everything that I believe in, which is exciting because you know I I, I read a book and sometimes I read a book and I'll be halfway through and I think. Start like getting that feeling in my chest because I think this is going to change a lot because <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's something that I've just realised something's not serving me and I'm about to go on a new journey and that's exciting you know oh and that's, and that's yeah. what that's what gets me going in my life today you know <laughs> I know but we keep picking the books up eh? we keep doing it to ourselves it's just but it is I totally resonate with that and I'm reading a book right now that's doing that to me and I'm like oh god now I'm going to have to do this not have which to which book is it which book is it. It's actually called Conversations with God. Have you oh, read it? Oh, I know. It? I've read it. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah, yeah I can't but, believe yeah. I've not read it. So um, I've been told about this book for so long, but I believe you pick it up at the right time. Yeah. And just, it was so funny, Josh, because the first chapter I was so resistant to, I was like, oh, no, no, no. Kept like, oh, I'm just going to go and get a bit of chocolate. Or, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go and take that wash out. Oh, this is shit. Shutting the book. And then I was like, right, breathe kept going with it and now I'm like oh god you know there's so much in there that yeah it, it just makes sense we over dramatize and analyze every single thing but that yeah. just for me is like wow kind of light bulb moments and yeah. it almost kind of um makes me go yeah I've always known that mm. but it's the programs that made me believe it wasn't true, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funny. I, I think I'm, I must have read that book uh, seven or eight years ago. I reckon. Mm. I've still got it. Still got it on the shelf. Gonna get it out again, Josh. Yeah, but do you know what? I had this conversation recently actually about uh, books because I'm like a real avid reader. Yeah, like I read, I read a lot, um, and you know, you kind of bring these books up and you think to yourself, I think to myself, if I read a certain book now that I say changed my life, if I read it now, would it have the same impact? Or would I think, no, no, but 
I, I don't get it at all. Do you know what I mean? I'd like, yeah. but but I'm too obsessed about reading new books. I could never go back and read an old book. An old one, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's funny. Uh-huh. God, it's interesting, isn't it? I think you just need what you need at that time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then you'll get something else that questions things, and yeah, amazing. Um, but Josh, what's what's the future for you then? Like, what's the plans for 2021? And no, we're still in this pandemic right now you know we've still got a bit of a hangover from that kicking about but what is the future plans for you and what you want to move forward with so like mainly my my professional work at the moment is is taken up by the kind of corporate training that I deliver um I'm I'm will keep doing that because I really really enjoy it and I'm able to you know since March last year, it kind of went global because it all went online. So I've been doing it all over the world. So it's like, I'm very passionate about that, but I'd like to do more of, um, I like one-to-one coaching. Uh, I've take, I took a right step back from, I have like four clients now. Um, so because I don't really have the time in my schedule to do it, I want to start doing something where, uh, I do things on a bit more of a group level. Um, and do some because I do group coaching within the corporate environment but I'd like to do personal mm-hmm. or more of a personal level private level as well so I've got lots of plans for that um, in terms of uh, this year uh, but yeah it's just to be honest with you it's time uh, people ask me about plans and I say oh, I've got loads of them it's just actually sitting down <laughs> and, and start working on the plans and not kind of the professional work that I do but keep doing what I'm doing, you know, I, I, you know, I love putting a, a certain message out to the world yeah. and kind of raising awareness of healing and the, and the realities of it and what it means and what it looks like and how it's not scary and what it's probably the wrong term, but how it doesn't have to be this thing that's like woo woo and over there. Oh. And actually I think we were saying it mm-hmm. offline, but, but I think there's a real yearning from people for it. A lot of them don't know they're yearning for it, but I do think that they are. So, yes, yeah, to keep doing that, really. I love that. When they realise the power that's within them to heal themselves, it's like, guys, you know what you can actually do yourself if you're prepared yeah. to actually go in and take a wee look inside, right? And mm. that's how it starts. And it's 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 an incredible journey. And I, I'm sure whoever you work with, if it's your smaller, intimate um, coaching groups and your corporate clients they're you know lucky to have you and um, I'm so grateful that you said yes and I just want to say thank, thank you. you so much for coming on and sharing you know beautifully vulnerably um, and with complete authenticity so thank you so so much thank you I've thoroughly enjoyed it it's been a really good conversation so I'm really glad that we did it so thank you thank you